Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. Well, my name is Dr. Jasmine Clark. I am a state representative in the Georgia uh, General Assembly. um, I represent Gwinnett County, the city of Lilburn area. Um, That is my part-time job. My full-time job is a lecturer at uh, the Emory School of Nursing, so Emory University. Um, I teach uh, microbiology and anatomy and physiology pre-nursing students. Um, I have a PhD in microbiology from Emory and they haven't been able to get rid of me. (laughs) (laughs) I like Um, it. So when did you know that like you were good at that and you enjoyed it? uh, Probably most of my life. So um, my dad is a doctor and my mom is a nurse and my dad is like my idol. And so growing up, I always thought I was going to be a medical doctor, just like my dad. And so I pursued science. I was the kid that won the chemistry set. I, you know, I, I just really had a passion for it. Um, it did, it was not difficult for me. Um, and then so when I went to college, I was pre-med. So then I took all the hard like mm-hmm. pre-med science courses. And again, I thrived. I, I really did enjoy those classes. Um even the ones that were maybe not my favorite, like organic chemistry um, and and physics, you know, those to me are a little bit more math oriented uh, uh-huh. than science. But like, you know, I really enjoyed my microbiology classes and my biochemistry classes and things like that. Um, it was in college that I switched from being pre-med to going to graduate school um, because I was in the honors program and I had to do an honors thesis. Mm-hmm. And I chose to work in a lab mm-hmm. and, and do a, like a research project and doing that research project uh, kind of opened my eyes to this, um, the field of science and discovery and doing yeah. all the things. And plus grad school was way less expensive than medical school. <laughs> yes. So, and science is my passion. Now I teach um, and I, I teaching is a passion that I didn't know I had until I had the opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm really big into teaching curriculum development um, you know, innovative ways to present the information so that people absorb it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really big into things like that. Yeah. And teaching though, kind of takes on multiple roles though. So you're, you're disseminating this information you're passionate about, but you're also like managing humans. Yes. <laughs> and so you have this part of kind of walking through like a really important season of life for these kids or adults and, and helping them form that passion and become who they're going to be and all of that. So also just that speaks to your, your passion for human development too. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you, I know that you, one of your things is about bringing science into policymaking and decision making. And I would imagine that especially in the middle of a global pandemic, science has probably never been on the forefront of regular people's minds as much as it is now, right? Um, I would say we've had moments where it has been. Um, So this is in our first, uh, I guess, outbreak or pandemic. Uh, So it comes and goes, it ebbs and it flows. Um, You know, there are a lot of um, policies that are passed uh, through the legislature that may not necessarily say science in the title. 
but they are definitely science related. So when we talk about health, when we talk about reproductive health, um, when we talk about environmental things, yeah, those things still have a basis in science. And it's good to have someone who understands science having a seat at the table um, when we're when we're making these decisions. Because I can be really honest and say that there's a lot of people sitting at the table that have absolutely no idea what's going on. Like right. they don't know what's going on at all. Which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> these people making these decisions without that background. So is right. that when you knew you wanted to be at the table in that way? Um, I think so. So, you know, my journey really is one that I feel is very uh, non-traditional and that I never imagined I would go into politics. It was mm-hmm. not something I prepared for. It is not something I was groomed for. I did not build a resume around it. I genuinely consider myself a problem solver. I think most scientists and people in the sciences would probably agree mm-hmm. that, uh, that, I mean, that's what science is. You, you basically get a question and then you do the research and the experiments to try to answer that question. I look at that as like you have a problem and then you do what you need to do, uh, the research and the you know policies mm-hmm. <laughs> to solve that problem, um, and so you know even though being in science seems like it's not hmm. a good fit for being in policy making, I think it's a very good fit. Um, and in and for me, the training that I have because I have a, a doctorate, we have to defend that. That's literally what it's called, defending. Yeah our dissertation, which means we have to stand behind our word or we have to stand behind the things that we put out. And you're not going to stand behind something unless you've done the work, you've done the research, you've read, you've repeated your uh, experiments multiple times to be sure that it's not an anomaly. You do all those things because that's the only way you can defend it. And so I take that mentality Mm -hmm. into legislating as well where I don't just approach things from a, this is just what I want. I try to really be able to defend my mm-hmm. positions mm-hmm. on things, defend why I'm doing a bill, this bill or that bill. Um, and I also try to make other people mm-hmm. defend the policies that they are putting forth. So I have a reputation for being the question asker. I'm constantly asking questions, but I think that's what we need. We need more people willing to stand up and say, no, you don't just get to stand here, present a bill and say the famous words. um, Everybody says this on the floor. This is a very simple bill. That's what they always say. It's not always a very simple bill. And I am going to at least hold your feet to the fire Mm. and ask you questions about a bill that you're bringing forth, especially if it's going to affect my constituents' lives. Um, lives. So, yeah. I want more of that. <laughs> yeah. But- and I think it's a good, I mean, it's probably annoying to them. And I said, if I ever do get a bill, they are probably going to pepper me with questions. And I'm ready for it because I know it's coming. But, um, you know, it's, it's something that we have to, um, we have to be okay with questioning things, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when we're talking about laws that are affecting so many people. Yeah. I want to know that as the constituent that people have put a lot of thought 
into it right. and somebody who's passionate about wanting there to be true change or systemic change like that how how else are you going to do that unless you uproot it right exactly. <laughs> and look at it from every angle um okay so what are you willing to share about your mental health journey um i you know my mental health journey is one that i am still definitely on um i think that um, I've always been the kind of person that just kind of pushes through mm. um, no matter what. I've always been the kind of person that uh, is, quote, okay. Mm -hmm. So no matter what I'm going through, yeah. oh, I'm okay. Uh -huh. I'm fine. Everything's fine on the outside, even if I have like all this inner turmoil. Um, and over the years, I've realized that you cannot just keep internalizing things that bother you and you have to, you know, let those things out. Um, and so um, recently, um, a friend of mine was talking about going to therapy. And I don't know um, anyone who's listening, uh, if they know this, but usually in the black community, therapy is just not something that we talk about. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's, it's, it's just not a word that you used mm -hmm. that often in our everyday conversations and so we're talking about her going to therapy now we're laying on the beach the beach is like my therapy yes um, <laughs> so we're laying on the beach and she's talking about a therapist and how much she loves her therapist and how much and I mm. just started asking her questions like well what do y'all talk about like I don't even know why I would need therapy like mm. what is that what made you even decide this is something that I want to do right. and as we started having a conversation I was like maybe this is something that I'm missing. Mm. Um, and it kind of reminded me of, um, I have always had vision problems like throughout my entire life. Uh -huh. uh, but when I was in college, um, I had glasses and I never pulled them out of my bag. I just kind of left them there. And eventually I like outgrew them, all that stuff. And so then for a really long time, I just went through life without glasses. Mm. I could see enough that I was fine. I felt like I was fine. Um, and um, then one day I um, decided, hey, I'm paying for this insurance for, you know, to see an eye doctor. I might as well actually go. So I go see the eye doctor and they're like, you really should be wearing glasses. So I was like, okay, fine. I purchased the glasses and I put them on mm. and the amount of clarity between the way I had been living for literally probably like a decade, everything was blurry mm. and it didn't have to be like mm -hmm. I can, I went from seeing trees as brown and green to seeing trees as trunks and leaves. Mm. Like it was yes. really stark. And so I think for me, um, the, I, the, the decision to get therapy was, kind of like my decision to finally go to the eye doctor and get glasses. It's like, I don't have to walk through life in this fog holding on to things when I can actually just go out and seek the tools, glasses for vision, therapy for mental health. That's it. You actually have more clarity in my life. Oh, that gives me chills. It's an awesome analogy that people can definitely relate to. <laughs> yeah. Cause we can much more easily talk about tending to our physical health. Right. Than mental health. So that exactly. distinction is so significant that, yeah, you can keep on keeping on and you can also choose to do it in a way where things are just more vibrant or clearer or 
maybe not so hard. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I was literally making my life hard for no reason. Like there was no reason to go around looking at everything, squinting to see street signs. Like I did not have to live that way. And once I just told myself, I don't have to live that way. It is okay to wear glasses. Yeah. My life got better. Everything came into focus. And I I just look at therapy in the same way. Yeah. Um, It's like you gave yourself that permission, but I hear the reason though. So there were some cultural implications that um, black people don't talk about or go to therapy. Right. Um, And also, I mean, where else kind of do you think some of that stigma or hesitation came from? I think some of it was stigma. Again, we just don't do that. Um, Some of it was fear. Um, Fear of being told something I don't want to be told or, you know, uh, realizing something about myself that I just don't want to realize, you know, that whole ignorance is bliss thing. Um, I think some of it was ignorance and that Mm -hmm. I genuinely just didn't know Mm -hmm. what therapy Mm -hmm. is and like, you know, what, what can happen in therapy and, you know, what you can talk about and, you know, all these things. Sure. Um, and then, you know, some of it was financial. Yeah. Um, therapists are often not covered by insurance or barely covered by insurance. And so it's a decision to basically make an investment in my mental health. Um, and while I am doing very well financially, as far as like I'm comfortable now, there were definitely points in my life where the cost of therapy would have been something that I would have not even felt was even close to achievable for me. For sure. sure. Um, You know, so there was some of that. Um, And then there was also just this uh, misconception that um, seeking therapy meant that um, someone was going to just try to write me a prescription Mm. or something. Okay. Um, And, you know, and, and, and I, I say that not to say that there's anything wrong with uh, being prescribed medication, if that is what you need. But I just had a fear of that. And so all of those things played a part in me being very hesitant to seek therapy. Um, And then, you know, it really honestly took people around me, people that I trust, people that I talk to all the time, people that I thought had it all together, (laughs) telling me, hey, you know, this is a thing that I do. And then number one, it removed that stigma. Um, But also uh, they were able to talk very candidly and specifically about their journey to finding the right therapist, you know, all these things. And I was able to use that in my journey as well. Right. And that's the biggest thing for me and kind of the mission behind all of this is just making it more relatable. Right. Um, And that we all, and the masks we wear all the time, not the COVID masks, the um, (laughs) I I have it together mask. Um, And then we start to realize like everyone's doing that. And if we could just give ourselves and each other the permission to stop doing that, there'd be so much more ease. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But I mean, I do think that there are people in our society that continue even now to believe and treat mental health as if. Uh, or, you know, having mental health or seeking out um, mm-hmm. avenues to, um, to you know, seeking out avenues like therapy and stuff is a form of weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, you know, no one tells a person with a broken leg that right. using crutches is weakness. No one tells a person who can barely see that using glasses is weakness. No one's right. like, 
you know, you should right. be willing to walk into walls and <laughs> trip over things. Like no one says that. Right. And so I think that the same thing about therapy is that, you know, it's not a sign of weakness. In fact, I think it is a sign of strength to finally say, I'm going to take ownership of this and I'm going to do this for myself because this is something I need to do. That's it. Yeah. Speaking my language. It's it. It's so brave to be vulnerable. Scary, scary. Yes. To your point of everything you said and brave. And then you come out on the other side, you know, feeling some kind of way and kind of like, oh, this is, this is how I really live authentically and intentionally. And why haven't I been doing this? (laughs) Sure, sure. sure. Yeah. Eh, Better late than never. Um, And there's still, (laughs) and I will say too, even as a therapist or as somebody like yourself who's gone through the therapeutic journey, there are obviously still times and places we show up in the world still wearing that mask just because of the societal expectations and all of the internalized stuff that's just there. I still feel like I have to wear masks in certain parts of my life. So if as a state representative, I do not necessarily feel like it's okay to be vulnerable um, because I feel like people look for me to be a source of uh, you know, what's the word? Just like mm-hmm. having it all together. I know mm-hmm. the answers. And mm-hmm. that is why you sent me here to to do all the things. And so, you know, um, even sometimes struggling with certain bills and, the, and, and struggling with like, uh, it's really hard sometimes sitting in a room with people who, you know, disagree with you on a policy. That's one thing. But sitting in a room with people that say things to you like um, the Klan was not that bad or people over-exaggerate lynchings. And, you know, like that, like does something to me. But the the expectation is that I sit there stoic and just... Yeah. All about business. But meanwhile, that can like rip me up inside sometimes because I feel like that's like more than policy. It's like, that's about my humanity. Yes. That's very personal. Yeah. So. Well, that's a great point. So you're, you're having this like visceral reaction that happens involuntarily when traumatic things are thrown at you. And yet the poker face is expected. Always. Always. Like you are not expected to react. You are not expected to cry if something is really hurting you or bothering you. And in a real, Mm. in any other situation, you would shed a tear. Like you're not expected to have an emotional reaction to things that would normally evoke emotion. Like you're, everything is supposed to be like business. and, And then compounded onto that is the fact that as a woman, I really feel like I, I have to really pile on the armor. It's like, mm-hmm. um, because they will kind of throw it mm-hmm. back at, back at you. Oh, these emotional creatures. This is why, this is why men should just be doing this because women are emotional. So it's all of these things that are like kind of piled on. Yeah. Um, and, and then, I and then a black woman really, too. Like, yeah, you, you, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I can't get angry. I can't, <sighs> I can't be sad because I'm a woman and women are emotional. I can't be mad because then I'm a black woman and I don't want to be the angry black woman. Uh, you know, I can't mm-hmm. react because I'm supposed to like be strong all the time. So yeah, it's a, it's, Ugh. it can be difficult. So I say that to say that even as I am working on, um, 
you know, shedding my mask and working on uh, allowing myself to be vulnerable. There are still parts of my life mm -hmm. where I know I still wear that mask and I feel even now um, like I, I can't take mm -hmm. that mask off in mm -hmm. order to be effective mm -hmm. at what I'm doing. And that incongruency can wear us down, right? So then exactly. it's exhausting. <laughs> yes. Yes. So then I guess the question is, how do you make sure that you're still allowing time and space to process it or to, re I, I can't even say release it because that makes it almost sound too easy, right? But, but what do you right. do to care for yourself, I guess, around that? So I think for a while I wasn't doing anything. And I think, um, so this year or this past year, um, we lost a lot of people. There was a lot of death. Mm -hmm. And I know that people grieve in different ways. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking is that, and I, I, this is just me um, hypothesizing, I haven't done the research on this, mm -hmm. but I feel like our brains, like as we develop, like our brains are like are prepared for certain things. Mm. Um, and I don't think that the point in my brain development was ready to start losing people so rapidly. And young people, I, um, you know, it's like people were dying from, you know, brain aneurysms and, and COVID and pneumonia. And, and this is like, yesterday i was just talking to you or yesterday you were just oh. we were just in a conference and then you wake up the next day and there's like this news that this person is now just gone and i think um so it that was happening mm -hmm. and i think at one moment i sat down and i just said i think that this has been happening so fast yet the world still had to keep going for me that i don't even think i had really actually processed that mm -hmm. this is not normal. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's, it's not normal. And in your thirties, I mean, unless we're talking about in the 1800s, <laughs> being in your mid thirties, you technically should not sure. be seeing this much death. You know, it'd be different. I feel like if I was 90, I would be more okay. Yeah. <laughs> with, okay. Life is, you know, life just runs like the life cycle. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. But in your thirties, you just expect the people that you see that look just like you, that you hang out with that are you're around your age. You just expect that they'll still be around mm -hmm. for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And to, for that to not be your reality in that moment. And they just keep happening over and over. Um, and so I think that's actually the point where I said, I think I need to like talk about this or talk yeah. this through with someone. Cause I don't think I'm processing this and I don't think I know how, like, I just don't yeah, how would know you? how to understand this. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and so um, mm. what I realized is that I am a mover. I move a lot. Mm. I constantly feel like I have to be moving. And I think that comes from a fear of when you sit still, yes. Yes. all those things that you have not allowed yourself to process just will come rushing in. And it's yeah. kind of like they're like waiting in the wings for you to just sit down yeah. and be still. 
And, and so like being busy was almost like a coping mechanism for me. It's an avoidance. And so what I, sure. and mm-hmm. so what I started doing was um, requiring myself mm-hmm. to have moments where I'm not working or requiring myself to have time to read a book because I love reading. I actually like genuinely love reading, but I would never have enough time to sit down and read a book. I would not allow myself that much time. Now I allow myself that time. Now I say it's okay to take a vacation, even if it's a weekend, Jasmine. It's okay to not bring your laptop and go to a beach and (laughs) take a vacation with your friends and talk about non-work things. Like these are things that I'm starting to allow myself to do. But for a while, I just wasn't, I wasn't allowing it because of that fear that if I sat still too long, um, all the things that I had put off processing mentally would just kind of come running at me and like just rush me Mm -hmm. um, and like tackle me like on a football field or something. Yeah, and there's, I love that awareness of, that's what you needed though, right? I mean, yes. so many of us try to outrun, avoid. And I tell people all the time in therapy, it's not about making any of the stuff go away. Right. It's learning to trust that you can tolerate it. Right. Learning the right. tools and the need and being attuned to your needs to be able to tolerate that discomfort. And, and you know, I'm, I just also to just kind of like pause in a minute to acknowledge and, um, all of the loss, you know, that you experienced yeah. on top of all of the, the, the collective trauma that was the, is the pandemic exactly. and, and so many other things being at the forefront of the converse, the national conversation right. politically, politically and all of the things, I mean, you're right. I don't think there's any stage in brain development that could have prepared us for any of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, nothing. And, and weirdly, for me, since I teach it, what I actually uh, kind of went to was just like history mm. to try to understand it because th- things I can read in a textbook, I understand. Mm-hmm. So I, I realized that this is not the first time it's happened. And like, I wanted to to read up on like what how it was before. Mm. And that, honestly, that actually helped put things in perspective for me. It also helped me realize that like, what we're experiencing now is not unique. Um, and when I say experiencing, I'm talking about that even the reactions to the pandemic are not unique. There are just people out there. They're like these personalities out there that will, some will be naturally uh-huh. like compliant and some will be naturally contrarian. And then there's like a level of like yep. a spectrum in between those yeah. two. Yeah. And, um, and that's history. That that's just how people work. And oh, so. for sure. And the difference, though, I I would pose is that that twenty four hour news cycle and social media and things like that right. definitely right. Uh, just kind of intensify it all. Would do right. you think? Yeah, it does. But I will also say, for my mental health, I uh, usually try to avoid yeah. twenty four hour news cycles. Uh, I would rather read my news than watch it on TV. Um, because it's more digestible to me. Sure. Um, um, as well, I try not to get my news from the person who's quoting the thing that they read. 
but more so get my news from the you know actual sources i i follow different reporters so they'll uh -huh. they'll post their articles and things like that um because i think you can get sucked in it can almost like pull you in and and then you get like caught in this like tornado of like all this information and it's an overload and I don't think that's good. Yeah, I don't that's think that's a, good for our mental health. <laughs> yeah, that's a form of self-care then, knowing that boundary that you need. Yeah, so so you mentioned two kiddos. Um, and so I wonder kind of in the context of how we've talked about your mental health journey and kind of the permission that you started to give yourself, has that influenced how you've parented them and conversations around tending to mental health, things like that? Absolutely. I definitely... Um, want my children to feel comfortable talking to me about things. And so um, I have also offered to them, you know, like if there is something that's going on and you don't want to tell me, like, how would you want, you know, other ways? Like I remember when I was younger, I was really bad about talking about things with my mom, um, especially Mm -hmm. you know, I guess like controversial things. Mm -hmm. So what my mom, me and my mom would do is actually write letters to each other. We literally lived in the same house, Yes, but we yes. would write letters to each other. Um, and sometimes the letters were very heated and mm -hmm. like, you know, we got into some heated arguments. Basically I was 18, but I was still living with her and there was this uh -huh. weird tension, but those were probably some of the best conversations I had with my mom around things that, you know, were very difficult subjects because mm -hmm. if I was allowed to write them, That's right. I could get all my thoughts out on the paper. I could decide, you know, if, do I want to say this? Do I not want to say this? But it was there mm -hmm. and then presented all as one thing as opposed to, I think sometimes in an argument, unless you're, or, or I will say in a conversation, unless you're conversing <laughs> with a very active listener, a lot of times you will never get your complete thought out there because they're they're going to interject and then you're going to respond to that. Uh -huh. And then you never actually get to everything that you actually want to say. So I personally encourage my kids, just write it down. Just That's tell me, um, you know, if you, if it's something is really bothering you, you can write it to me mm -hmm. and I will read it and I'll accept it and I'll either, you can talk about it or I'll write you back, however you want to do it. But I think that that gives them a way. I think that it's less uh, stressful, mm -hmm. it's less confrontational. Yeah, there's some safety to it Yeah, yeah. Be behind the paper. And, and you're right, then you don't trigger the emotion brain in each other. And yeah, right. I think that's a beautiful technique. Yeah, and it's like, I won't read it in front of you. So right. like, you know that- A little less you know, vulnerable in that way. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have any go-to quotes or, or wisdom that you turn to? I think my my go-to quote has always been the Maya Angelou um, quote about people will not um, remember what you said or what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Um, and the reason why is because I actually really do care about my impact mm. um, on the on the world. Um, you know, and, and not to be morbid, but, you know, I think about when I leave this earth, like what will people mm -hmm. remember about me? You know, what will people say about me? Um, and I, and I want 
to at least have been impactful. Um, I cherish those moments when I walk through the halls at work um, at Emory and then a student who is now a nurse mm. comes up to me and they're like, oh, it's so good to see you. You know, your class is really tough, but I'm so thankful for it because it really helped me with mm. this. Or I run into an old student at a grocery store or I open my LinkedIn and I randomly have a LinkedIn message from a student I taught um, um, five years ago. Mm -hmm. That's like, oh, I just wanted to update you on the things that I'm doing. And I still remember that biochemistry class. It was like one of the hardest classes I ever took, but I just, I, I'm thankful. And now um, I returned back home and I started a pharmacy in my, mm. in my hometown, you know, like, I, those are, I want to be impactful. I, I want to make sure that um, one of my colleagues always says on your tombstone, there's um, the date you were born, mm -hmm. the date um, you leave, and then there's a dash. Mm. And he's like, well, what is your dash? Because mm. your dash is really like, that's, all the time you spend on this earth. Yeah. And I, I want my dash to be impactful. Mm. Yeah. I don't think that's morbid. I see that as again, like just bringing intentionality right. to the way you live. Am I attuned to my values and things that are important to me? And I think that's, that is so motivating too in the day to day. Yeah. And I'm, I'm over here cheesing my head off too, because that <laughs> is my favorite um, I have that hanging in my house. That oh, quote. I love it. Yeah. Um, kind of just stepping out of ourselves too. And like, how do we create space for others in a way that's authentic for us still protects our own needs, but it's really right. about like, we don't get there unless we all get there too. Like, right. Um, exactly. God. And she just any, her wisdom is um, like nothing else. Right. Well, she was very impactful. I hope to even have <laughs> a percentage of the impact that she's left on our world. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, any moments where you wish you could have frozen time? Ooh, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I think there are times where if I could do it over again, I would mm. do it over again. Mm. Um, but as far as frozen time, you know, I cherish so many moments. Yeah. Like I am actually one of those people that really enjoys mm -hmm. um, like moments yeah. with people, even if it's just with myself, like, you know, little things. I just yep. cherish little things. Um, and, and so I can't really pick one. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's, that's a beauty a of, being, of being mindful though. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that's an inspiring answer too. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I just think it's so interesting for my, my crazy question time. It was about, um, also reading and karaoke. I can't make this up. So my first okay. one was, my first one was book or Kindle. What's your preference? Book. Oh yeah. my gosh. Book. I am a, I want to hold it in my hand. I want to turn the pages. I have tried the Kindle thing uh -huh. and it's just not me. There's something about the actual turning of pages that I love. Yes. I, I get people really come down hard on one side or the other with that, you yeah. know? So, okay. And then what's on your <laughs> nightstand right now? What are you reading? Um, actually, I am waiting to get, so my co-host um, um, on the Suburban Women Problem 
uh, Rachel Vinman, her husband, Alex Vinman, has a book, Here Right Matters. And I'm waiting to get my copy mm-hmm. so that I can mm-hmm. start reading that. Me too, girl. And I, I signed up to get the, the book plate that he would sign too. And yes, <laughs> I can't wait for that one. Well, you guys, you have so many good guests too. Um, you know, getting Heather McGee's The Sum of Us. Like we could fill our nightstand with... I know, like so many. Yes. Yes. Has that been a really rewarding thing to do the podcast during pandemic? I think so. In fact, I, you know, when I decided to join the podcast, I I decided to do it because I believed in the vision, Mm. but I never would have imagined the execution being like what it is. Like we are having some real genuine conversations and I love it. I love all the topics. I love the guests that we bring on. Like, I think that we have an opportunity, a real opportunity to have those difficult conversations and let other people feel a little vulnerable, but in a very like low stakes way. Like I can listen to this podcast and I can relate. I'm sure there are people out there that can relate to me. And I'm sure there are people out there that can relate to Amanda. And I'm sure there's people out there that can relate to Rachel um, in different ways. Um, but I think that we are not monolithic at all. And I think that's the beauty of the podcast. We really come at things from very different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I just, I enjoy it. I enjoyed it. I think it's, it's been very fruitful and I um, look forward to continuing on that journey. And that, that to me captures what, what life could really be all about bringing so many different perspectives, but in a compassionate you know, thoughtful way right. where, where the dialogue is also hopefully planting seeds and effecting change. Right. I mean, that's the right. stuff. That's the stuff. <laughs> yes. um, okay. So here's the second one. If you could unapologetically belt any song or artist in your car, who, when, what, what song, what artist? Okay. So I am a Tina Turner. Like I, oh my gosh. When I say I will rock to some Tina Turner, yes, um, I will sing on the top of my lungs. Like it is thing. So proud, Mary. Yeah, I don't know. She's like a little bit of rock and roll. I don't know. I just I don't know how to describe it. But yeah, Tina is my Tina is my girl. Yes, there aren't <laughs> words to describe that that t- talent and energy. Right? It's just you just say Tina and people get it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. When I when I do karaoke and like they're. They, the music starts playing. People are like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. <laughs> That's right. And and can you sing too? Are you talented? I can hold a note. Okay. Um, but I am a true alto. So I, because of that, there's not, I don't feel like I can sing. I don't have this huge range of, of no, but if it's an alto song and like it, it stays in pretty much one yep. register. Oh yeah. I'm okay. all over that. So I can sing. I just can't like do falsetto, very yep. high pitched. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so if there's any person dead or alive that you could do carpool karaoke singing Tina Turner with, who would it be? Oh, you know what? And I've said this on other things as well. I personally think that me and Michelle Obama would have a lot of fun. And I think that she and I would do a great karaoke, purple <laughs> karaoke together. Let's so, manifest it. Um, I am saying Michelle Obama. I, 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 mean, I genuinely think that she and I would be great friends. Yeah, let's <laughs> manifest it. Yeah. 
<laughs> we are putting it out in the universe. Um, okay, last one. If you can't sleep, what is it that you're thinking about? Oh, man. The, uh, usually the things, because I'm a, I'll preface this. I am a master sleeper. Like there are Ooh. very few things Ooh. that can stop me from sleeping. I can sleep. I can take a nap. I can drink uh, mm. green tea with caffeine right before bed and still go to sleep. Like I Who am are you? a sleeper. There's one thing I can, I'm really good at. It's sleeping. But if something is keeping me up at night, it's probably me, um, you know, uh, thinking either about relationships Mm -hmm. Um, and not just like romantic relationships, but mm -hmm. just like if there's trouble, mm -hmm. like if I'm not getting along with someone or if there's a friend that's having a hard time or whatever, um, that can weigh heavily enough on my mind mm -hmm. that it might, cause I constantly, I, I feel like I want to make sure that everyone that I care about is good. Mm -hmm. And if they are going through something, then it's almost like, I feel like I need to fix it. And so then my brain will just keep going on. How can I fix this? How can I mend this? How can I make things work? And so I would say uh, relationships and just caring for others yeah. and kind of empathizing with others. So it's like, I don't keep myself up. Other people. <laughs> oh, it's like a blessing. It's a blessing and a curse to right. be an empath yeah. for sure. Cause it's, it's yeah. hard to know sometimes what's your, you know, it's not your responsibility and right when, when yeah. it's sort of unsettled you want to settle it but mm. right mm -hmm. i am so grateful for this space and this conversation and to have you know had the honor of meeting you a couple months ago and then that you said yes so i we i really appreciate it i appreciate the invitation thank you so much for this interview thank you for allowing me to be vulnerable on your yes. show i really do appreciate that I don't want to be too redundant, but I want to highlight something that came up in our conversation that I hear a lot with clients and may have experienced myself at some point in my life. <laughs> this idea of using busyness as a coping mechanism. So it truly is about avoidance. And so sometimes we don't realize because maybe even the things that we're filling our day with are fulfilling and are of interest to us and we're good at it. And the feedback is great and all of these things. And yet if we really widen the lens and take a step back, we can realize that maybe we're doing that to avoid that slowing down that um, Dr. Clark talked about. And so maybe just asking yourself, what does it feel like to just settle and be in my own headspace? Am I intimidated by thoughts, feelings, sensations that come up? Because again, a lot of what therapeutic work is about is about learning to tolerate that space of discomfort and learning to trust that you can be with yourself and handle whatever comes up and choose how to respond to it. So it's a really important question to ask, especially as we're kind of weaving in and out of, you know, social isolation versus re-entry. And there's some intentionality we can set to how we want our days to look going forward. So I encourage us to create space for pause and for rest and for just being and to put the busyness aside sometimes and uh, to learn to tolerate what comes up. Just be curious. Hey, thanks for listening today. We really appreciate it. So who you calling crazy? I think you mean human. 
We are removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. Oh,